Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm Marva Hinton. Today, I'm meeting virtually with Nakisha Elise Williams from her home in Jacksonville. Her latest book, Beyond Bourbon Street, explores a couple living in New Orleans. They are expecting their first child together and dealing with past trauma. As you can probably hear, Nakisha is joined today by her daughter, Annalise, who will be fitting in for part of the interview. Nakisha is also the host of Black and Published, a podcast that features interviews with Black authors that you should definitely check out. Nakisha, thanks so much for coming on Read More and congratulations on your latest book. Thank you, Marva. I'm so happy to be here. Beyond Bourbon Street tells the story of Gray and Bombay. They're a couple of Black professionals living in the Lower Ninth Ward post-Katrina in a home that belonged to Gray's grandparents. It was destroyed during Hurricane Katrina in 2005, which happened after they had died. Gray restores the home with the help of a man she would later marry, Bombay. And to outsiders, it seems like Gray and Bombay are just, you know, this great couple. They've got it going on, but there are lots of problems underneath the surface. Yes. Well, yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, both Gray and Bombay are dealing with past trauma. A lot of it involves their families and things they don't like to talk about. This is an area that is just so ripe for storytelling. So many people are in this situation dealing with things like this. How did these characters first come to you? Oh, gosh. Um, these characters first came to me in 2007. So it was a couple years after the storm. Um, and I was an undergrad at FSU. And I was in the English creative writing program. And I was doing the honors in the major. And for that program to graduate with honors in the degree you have to write a thesis. So as a creative writing major, I was writing a novella is what I call it. And so I knew I wanted to write about Katrina. My family is from New Orleans and the storm and the damage just kind of stayed with me. And the cover of Beyond Bourbon Street is actually my grandmother's house. It's a photo that I took in 2006. Uh, so a year after the storm when I finally was able to go and see everything. Um, and so it, th those characters first came to me then, and it's when they were, um, Gray has gone back to, to New Orleans to, <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, rebuild her home and, and stake her life there. And while doing so, she meets this guy. And so, um, and, and I always tell people that, you know, chapter four in Beyond Bourbon Street was the very first chapter of my undergraduate thesis from 2007, I think I started, I started thinking about it in 2007 and I wrote it that year. And then I had to defend it in 2008 to, for my, um, my graduate require my graduate requirements. So when I was starting to research, um, to do beyond Bourbon street, cause those characters were kind of still on my mind all these years later, I went back, pulled out that thesis cause I still have it. I have my little hard copy that I bound up from way back when, and I reread my work. And I was like, hmm, I'll just take that chapter and I'm going to drop it right here as a flashback and, and just rework it and tighten it up and make it better. Because, of course, I've grown as a writer from like 20 to 30 something. And, but that was that's how it that's how it started. It was my undergraduate thesis. And then like the characters in the story never really left me all those years later. Well, we see these characters fight a lot, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's it's one of those things where you see with a couple they have the same fight over and over again for years, mm-hmm. and you know resentment bills, and everyone is you know kind of used to it by now. It's almost like they have a part to play in this fight. Um, how did you go about writing these scenes so that they don't become repetitive, even though it's very obvious that yes, they're having the same argument again and again. Oh, gosh. I think um, when you're in a relationship or in a marriage or a partnership or whatever, there are things that your partner does that may irritate or aggravate you. And just little small annoyances that can build over the years. And so then with Gray and Bombay, they have 15 years worth of these small annoyances and idiosyncrasies that are now coming to a head because of the transformational thing that's happening in their life, which is that Gray is pregnant and they're going to bring in their first child into this environment that they have. And so, you know, it's easier to not deal with your stuff when it's just the two of you, you guys can go to your separate corners and then come back and make up later. But when there is a child involved and you're trying to do better and then you're not dealing with your own issues around childhood and parenthood and your relationship it all is just bubbling under the surface, waiting to erupt. And so, you know, that's kind of where the book starts. It it starts with the rant, and then we try to find resolution from from there. In many ways, to me, this novel was reminiscent of a screenplay because there's so much dialogue between Bombay and Gray. Uh, what did you do to channel these characters so you could get the voice just right for each one? I've sat with these characters for a long time. And so I think their most authentic voice was when I wrote them as a college student because it was the very first long form anything I had ever written. And so I knew them. And then when I actually started working on this book specifically, like knew that I was going to bring it into a present day situation, I um I had just finished writing my first novel and so one of the characters from that novel felt like she was creeping in to uh into Gray's voice specifically and so I was like this doesn't sound like Gray it sounds like another character and so I had to really go back and remember and reread and start listening to my family um about you know what they would say what they wouldn't say and how they would react and then I also when I'm writing I I feel like I see it as a movie in front of my eyes and then I'm writing what I see and what I hear and what's being said. And so that was kind of how I worked on it. But I really tried to channel, you know, what would be true to the character, how they would say it. And then the specific accents that like some of my cousins have, that's a very specific Southern New Orleans accent to try to hear Gray and Bombay in my head as I was writing the story. In the novel, we see Gray go into therapy, first alone and then with her husband. And the therapist is sort of unconventional. Uh, (laughs) You know, she works in a conventional place and she has unconventional methods. Uh, You spend a lot of time covering these sessions and what comes up from them and how the couple react to them afterward. Why did you want to bring readers into this process? And did you have to do a lot of research into, I guess, conventional therapy so that you could explore someone who was sort of operating outside of that in some ways? Um, 
other than going to therapy myself, I guess in a conventional uh-huh. setting would be my only research. But by doing that and um, even having done couples therapy with my husband a, a few times, I realized that, you know, there are things that you will say in a session on your own with a therapist that you won't say in a couples therapy session and that you won't say to the other person, no matter how much therapy you've had, there are some secrets that you keep to yourself. Um, And so in exploring that and then bringing in the therapist and the, in her unconventional setting, I was looking up, you know, therapy places in New Orleans for the book. And I saw the healing center, which is an actual location in New Orleans. And so I was like, oh, this is interesting. And like, I know they have a yoga studio right next to it. And it's, and then when I went, I call them site service. When I was able to go back to the city and just like bop around to different sites that were in the book and go explore, I walked through the healing center and was like, oh, this is different. And I was like, yeah. okay, let's, let, let's play with this. And so that kind of set the, the mood for, for those scenes with Graham Bombay and the therapist. And then, you know, she was, she has her own disposition and is very confrontational with her characters to be like, you know, don't waste my time. You wasted your money, but you're not going to waste my time. And so that became one of the things to try to get them through was like, okay, you know, we can keep going round and round on your issues and not saying what needs to be said, or you can do it in the setting with a third party and try to really get to the heart of the matter. You mentioned that you've been with these characters for a long time, you know, since you were an undergrad at Florida state, were they hard for you to let go of when you were done writing? Because, you know, there were times that I just wanted to shake both of them, you know, they can be very (laughs) frustrating. Um, and, And sometimes they were just very unlikable. And so is it harder for you to write an unlikable character than one, you know, readers are just going to fall in love with and sort of want to, Oh, you know, I, I just love gray. You know, she's an inspiration. Whereas sometimes gray, she can be inspirational at times, but the other times she's like, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. I don't know if I've ever thought about that. I don't think I write likable characters. I think I write human characters. And so that, you know, on your best days, maybe you are as a person really, really likable, but on your worst day, you're not. And so that complexity and that duality lives in all of us. And so in exploring Gray and Bombay and you know their co-stars, it wasn't about being liked or being unliked. It was about being true to who they were as people. And so once their story was done, I felt like, okay, yeah, we're we're done with you guys. Um, and I say that because when I was in undergrad and did write the novella that be, that's become Beyond Bourbon Street, I let one of my roommates read it. Um, and she said to me, the story is not over. And in 2008, I was like, well, this is all I got. Right. <laughs> in 2020, I was like, okay, the story is done. We're done. We follow Gray's pregnancy throughout this novel, and you have a lot of your chapters are um, listed as sort of her weeks as we follow her along, you know, through the pregnancy. Uh, She's at high risk for complications uh, due to her medical condition. She has bronchial asthma and suffers from something known as Katrina cough. She's scared, and for many years, she was unsure if she 
you know, should even become a mom. You know, she's worried that she might be like her own mother who was in many ways absent even when she was there. Mm-hmm. Why is this something that you wanted to explore uh, to just, you know, put it out there that pregnancy is not always sunshine and light that we see so much. Um, and it honestly, because when I started rethinking about this, these characters and where their story would be present day, it was after the birth of my son in 2015. And even though my pregnancy with him was really easy, there was still so much that I didn't know going into it and that I had never seen discussed or illustrated anywhere, not in the media, not in, in, in reflective art. So it was important for me to explore that. And having done so, and then having my daughter a year later, I feel like now there's more of a light on, you know, the black maternal health crisis and infant mortality rates and all of those things. But that's only been with like in the last few years. But, you know, when you go into the hospital as one person and leave out as two, no, that's a radical change in yes, life. It is. And it's it's really crazy. And it and to me, I like I never let that feeling go. Like I walked in three days ago as one person and I'm leaving out as two, me and my child in my arms. And so in exploring Gray's pregnancy is like, you know, every woman experiences pregnancy difficult differently. So for some people it's difficult, for some people it's easy, for some people it's joyful, and some and for some people it's nerve-wracking and anxiety inducing. And I think all of those feelings should be, you know, allowed to be explored and should be validated and affirmed. Reading Beyond Bourbon Street gave me just a really good sense of feel for New Orleans. I mean, as your characters were maneuvering throughout the city, I mean, you would say, you know, they're on this street, they're crossing this street, they're going this way. And you would describe the landscape in such a way that, you know, as someone who's never been there, it made me feel like, oh, I I get the city. Um, And your love for the city just came through. In fact, you know, not knowing your background before this, I thought maybe you were from there. And I see now you have family that connects you to the city. Just tell me a little bit about your connection to New Orleans and what that city means to you. For me, it was like a second home. And both of my parents are from New Orleans. So summers, spring breaks, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, we would go. And sometimes we would drive, 18-hour drive. Um, And sometimes we would fly. And so I have lots of memories of being there all times hanging out with my cousins doing things with my grandparents and you know being in the city and so as i was describing it i was sometimes i was describing from memory and sometimes i'm describing from google earth and then once i was able to go back and visit a few times before publication from the way it looks now um but i wanted to give people that feeling of being there because no matter where you're from, especially as Black people, when you tend to live in neighborhoods that are underfunded and under-resourced because of racism, um, you still can create that feeling of home in those places. And so 
I wanted to give the reader the sense of that, that, and, and again, that's the title beyond Bourbon Street, you know, you don't have to just go to the tourist areas of a city and have a good time. You can go into these neighborhoods and into these communities that you may have only heard about in a negative light and see that there is life there and that there is love there and that there is joy and that there is family and that there are people who aren't just surviving, but also thriving as well. And so I wanted to give readers that same sense and a place that has gotten so much flack over the years, but has given me that in my formative years as I was growing up as a girl. Well, this definitely feels like a love letter to the city of New Orleans and to the Lower Ninth Ward, which was so devastated in Katrina back in 2005. Well, Lakeisha, now I'd like to just ask you a couple of questions about what you like to read and what influences you had. Mm. Um, do you have what I like to call go-to books that you find yourself returning to again and again that are inspirational for you or even maybe just fun to read? Or you just say, you know, I really enjoy that passage or it reminds you of a certain time in your life. And so you find yourself returning to it. Um, there was one book that I used to read at least three times a year for like at least five years. Um, and I don't read it as much anymore, or I don't think I've picked it up in years now, but that book was Jean Vier by Eric Jerome Dickey. And I just, I loved that book. And I remember the first time I read it, I got to the end and it has one of those, not necessarily a cliffhanger ending, but a, you know, a life kind of goes on ending. You just don't know what happens. And I got to the end and then I started, turned it over and went started again from page one, like immediately. And I would read that book over and over and over again and just notice different things and how he played with character and dialogue and tone and mood and even insinuation in that book. And so I used to read that a lot, a lot, a lot. Now I don't, I'm not able to reread as much as I would like to. Um, there are a few books that are on my to be read list that I've read already, but my to be read list is so long <laughs> that I'm never going to get through it if I just reread my favorites all the time. Well, what about on the flip side of that? I mean, do you have a book that just did not do it for you, but maybe everybody else seemed to enjoy it or, um, and I'm talking about readers as well as critics. They just loved it. But for you, either it didn't do it or, and you didn't, maybe you didn't even finish it or you did get through it. And then you're like, I'm not sure about this. Um, I don't know if there's a book that didn't do it for me. That stats crazy. I think there's one book that I know I didn't finish that I bought. I bought black like me, which I think that book came out in what, like the sixties or something. Um, it's about the guy who medically darkens, it's a white guy who medically darkens his skin and then goes into the South to explore what it's like to be a black man. I feel like that book came out in the sixties. I got halfway through it and I didn't finish it. I was like, yeah, I don't need to read this. Um, that's one. And then I don't, I don't think there's anything else. There are books that I have not read, but there, there's not, I don't think there's been anything that I've been like, yeah, I don't get the hype around this. Usually for some books, I'm just like, mm, if I don't, if it doesn't speak to me, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to read this. Mm -hmm. And I don't even bother with just it. Just don't start. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, what are you reading right now? I know you said your TBR is so long. 
right now I'm reading Something Good by um, Vanessa Miller. And then I also have Shelter by Lawrence Jackson on my nightstand. And then I have, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's, it's Kristen Lee's debut novel. It's, I think it's a YA book. I know the last line is for the disenfranchised freshman. That's also on my nightstand to be read list for my other life as a podcaster. And I'm looking forward to reading Imani Perry's South to America um, and a whole host of other books. <laughs> well, what about your writing right now? Are you already working on your next novel or, uh, you know, just what are you doing in that regard? I know you're super busy. you got Miss Annalise there. Uh, <laughs> so what's going on there? Writing wise, I have a book coming out in the fall from LSE Press, and it's a nonfiction project about the Black masking Indians of New Orleans, also known as the Mardi Gras Indians. And so I wrote that, started researching in late 2020, like summer 2020, late 2020, and then wrote it last year. And then, um, and I've been working with the press for it to come out to, for publication this fall. And then on as far as fiction, I have a novel manuscript that is completed. I'm currently querying for agents just to workshop it in some type of community with the goal of being traditionally published with this novel manuscript. But I keep having ideas of how to expand the story and go more in depth. So yes, the manuscript is completed, but by the time it comes out, will it resemble the, the current its current form? Probably not. <laughs> Nakisha Elise Williams, thank you so much for coming on to talk about your work. Thank you for having me. You can find out how to win a free copy of Beyond Bourbon Street on our website, readmorepodcast.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also support Nakisha and the show through buying the book on our site. Please follow us on Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again next time for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marvin Houston, reminding you to read more. Okay, Nakisha, yeah. thank you so much. Thank oh, you, your Marvin. daughter is so precious, and I, <laughs> you know, I get her such a cute smile. <laughs> <laughs>